welcome back to The Short Game. This is the show where we discuss short video games, the kind of games you can probably complete in an evening or a weekend, but uh, more importantly, the kind of games that can dare to try things that big-budget, long, gigantic AAA productions just don't have the guts to try. Uh, I am really excited to talk about our game this week, and uh, I am I, well, I am your host, Reagan Kelly, and I am joined by my full complement of co-hosts, Laura Nash. How are you doing, Laura? I'm doing terrific. Nate Heininger. Oh man, I have been rolling stuff up, making stars, making moons, having a great time. I'm glad to be here. Me too. And <laughs> my real life twin brother and co-host slash co-host, Shane Kelly. How are you doing, Shane? Really sad because I couldn't find a PlayStation Two. <laughs> oh man. Well, there'll always be the memories. Right? I I didn't even have to play this game. I remember every second of it. <laughs> no, me too. So, if it wasn't already clear from from that, we are talking this week about Katamari Damacy. Uh, or Damacy? I hear it pronounced both ways. It's just... Uh, it says hey, Katamari Damacy. Exactly. Uh, and I, that, I also hear yeah. Damashi sometimes, so I have no idea really what the true pronunciation of this is. The song. I, you gotta go with the song, right? Yeah. yeah. Damasi. It's pronounced na 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 yeah, it's full. Its proper title is na 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 Batman, Katamari Damacy. I know that this was a game that was really important to me right around when it came out in 2004. Um, but I I think it was the first time playing it for some of you guys, right? This was my first time playing it. I actually was introduced um, nerd cred time um, during the MIT Mystery Hunt, which is video game theme. They had an entire world. Um, the, the theme was that uh, Mario uh, and the Princess Peach, her the wedding was interrupted. You got a wedding invitation. Bowser came in, stole the girl playing Princess Peach, and it was on. And one of the levels around 2 a.m. the second day was Katamari Damacy. And, of course, every level, every puzzle then had, you know, exponentially wrapped puzzles that you had to use the answers for. <laughs> that's um, some pretty good nerd cred. Yeah. Yep. So More than I got. So that's when I first was exposed to Katamari. Wow. That's um, a lot of fun. I didn't play it immediately upon release. I think I played it sometime around 2008 or so, but I played a lot of it in that time. Uh, I, it, you know, I've talked about this before. I didn't have a PS2 or an Xbox or an Xbox 360, and it wasn't on those consoles. But I missed that whole generation of 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 consoles. Fortunately, a roommate of mine, my cousin, did have Katamari, and I played it endlessly. And have loved it forever, and I'm so glad for the opportunity to uh, to play it again. I know I like pretty much the song got stuck in my head again. Brought it up during the music episode, and was like, I'm so glad that we're actually playing the game now. This game ties to an incredibly specific point in my life. Um, in 2001, uh, Shane and I are house flooded. And right immediately afterwards, I think to make us feel better, um, our parents bought us a PlayStation 2. And this was the most exciting thing ever because we hadn't really had a console since the um, since the Genesis at that point. I mean, I won't tell you about my experience with the Saturn. It was it was truly sad. So we pretend that that saga of my life never occurred. Um, yeah, this, the Saturn was uh, we should have moved on from that one sooner. We're like sad saturn yeah. <laughs> yep it, it ruined video games for me forever and getting the playstation 2 is really exciting and this game came out in 2004 so i'd i'd had time to experience some of the you know earlier games 
and I was getting kind of bored with the system at this point. And I very vividly remember that my parents always had a subscription to Time Magazine, and Time Magazine not known for its video game coverage, but in 2004, just before the release of this game, um, they had a half-page article that I I can even remember visually what it looked like. Time Magazine wrote about this game before its release. They wrote about it as kind of this weird curiosity from Japan. And the big things that the article said was, it's really weird, so weird, that they didn't even bother to translate the name. Ha ha. And it's about rolling things up into balls. It's really fun. And it's only going to be 20 bucks. And that was where my ears perked up because at the time I was, uh, you know, I was pretty young. I didn't have a whole lot of money lying around. And typically PlayStation 4, excuse me, (laughs) PlayStation 2 games would release at a full price of $40. And uh, Katamari Damacy, because it was such a strange game and because it was such a low budget, I would this was before indie games were a thing, but I almost feel like this is kind of a proto indie game from within the big publishers. Um, They were really uncertain about releasing this. And so they released it at a much reduced price. It was a full price game in Japan. Um, So $19 and 97 cents. And I was so excited by what I saw in that article in time that I went down to a GameStop and I purchased this on day one, the first day it was available. And um, I still have that copy right here. And this is such an important game to me. I have loved this game from the very first day. Uh, you and I were fighting over the controllers for this game. Yeah. Because although I I seem to remember it having like a crummy two-player. Mm-hmm. Was that one of the sequels? No, There's this one. No, it does. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, but that was a worthless. That wasn't, that wasn't the game. The game was the single-player experience of just rolling it all up into a big old clump. Yep. Yeah, and, and frankly, even the single player is a satisfactory multiplayer experience. It is. I know Laura talked about this and myself, like my entire time playing it, including this most recent play. Uh, it's totally fun still to watch people play this game. So you kind of mm-hmm. take your turn, uh, which average maybe 10 to 20 minutes, depending on the on the round. Some of them at the beginning, even shorter than that. And that sounds like a long time, but it's so silly and so much fun to just like, because when you're playing, you actually have a hard time identifying all the individual things that you're rolling up. Mm-hmm. So it's almost more fun to have someone beside you just screaming out like, oh my God, you're missing all those magnets. No, get those crabs. Yeah. <laughs> you got you to gotta get those staplers. Yeah, and you notice things that you don't if you're actively involved in playing it. Like, I, I was trying to spend a lot of time just looking at the world of the game while I was oh, playing it through this time. And there's so many weird, funny, little situation comedy moments that are just part of the way they've arranged all the objects in the world. Um, there's so many weird things from inanimate objects to, you know, the human beings doing the weirdest things in parks that I've ever seen. Yeah, (laughs) there's so many times where it's things that just are out of place in a really funny way. Um, like you, you're, you're starting off really small, but finally you get just tall enough to be able to see like what's on top of a building. And there's like a band playing up there or something, you know, (laughs) or a bear. Just like or a bear. Just, yeah, or just a bear up there. Or a giant pencil. Yeah. Yeah, the heads-up display is so packed with things because every time you roll over something, it'll tell you um, what it is and how big it is. And often you'll see it kind of making your, your Katamari wobbly or whatever. But it's really fun to watch. Um, the first time I played the opening levels was um, after we had been to a bar with two people in the room besides me who had never played it before. One girl who 
bless her heart, had no idea what she was doing. She just knew Laura wanted to play a video game. <laughs> and she started playing and she's like, she's like, what's on? What's, what's, something's attached to me. I'm, I'm dying. I'm stuck. And we're like, no, no, that's the, that's the game. <laughs> you want more things attached to you. The whole quickly, game. <laughs> quickly, attach more things to you. She thought she'd gotten stabbed. It's like, no, no. Aww. That's a good thing. <laughs> Keep doing that. And then she loved it. It's so accessible for almost anyone. Uh, so let's tell, let's talk about the actual gameplay for folks that haven't gotten a chance to experience this game yet. I think we should actually talk, uh, not to cut you off entirely, but let's right. just talk about how this game is actually really hard to play now, which oh, is yeah. part of the part of the reason yeah. why uh, Shane oh, wasn't able to play. Such a now, now there are a lot of sequels and um, games that can be played on the newer consoles, and I've I've touched on a few of them over the over the years and nothing has ever hit me as hard as the original Katamari and unfortunately it's only available to play on the original PS2 or download if you have a PS3 so it's probably the least accessible game that we Even have that played PS3 is a is a recent development isn't that right yeah i believe so yeah i don't know exactly when it became available there but yeah it's uh it's it's really hard to get your hands on this game now if you don't have a PlayStation 3 or an old-school PS2. Fortunately, it's not an expensive game. I mean, we haven't gotten to the point with retro game, you know, collecting where PlayStation 2 games, many of them are expensive. You can pick this game up on eBay for about 20 bucks or less. No, I got it on Amazon with Prime shipping for $12. Nice. So it is, it is easy to get if you have those systems. Yes, but you need a PlayStation 2 Or you need a PlayStation 3 that's backward compatible, or you can download the PS2 Classics version on the PlayStation Store on a PS3 for $10, which is what I did, and uh, it's it's perfectly fine. It's exactly like the PS2 game. But if you don't have one of those systems, there's no other way to play this. Um, There's probably some emulation options, but... We're kind of we're kind of stuck. And the real problem is that none of the sequels, in my opinion, seem to really quite measure up. Um, In fact, it seems like the series is really being abandoned by Namco. Something that I saw recently that really kind of distressed me was that there was an iOS version of Katamari. Uh, it mm-hmm. was called like Touch My Katamari, I think, which I think is a I terrible title. I thought it was title. just I Love Katamari. <laughs> yeah, it was We Love Katamari. No, oh, no, no. That's oh, a, yeah. those are other games. The, it's the one for yeah. the Vita that's called Touch My Katamari. There is one called that. It's a disgusting <laughs> title. I do not like that. Especially when you know what Katamari means. Because I played the one on iOS briefly and then realized that was not the right way yeah. to play this game. Yeah. Well, actually, it. Bandai pulled that version from the App Store only about a week and a half or two weeks ago. They just completely pulled it, along with um, several of their older Pac-Man games and a few other things. It seems like... Well, what if maybe that means they're working on a new one? That would be God, I can dream, right? Yeah, we can all dream, but I really have the feeling that this series has been largely abandoned by uh, by Namco. I think the original is due for an HD re-release. Yeah. The exact same game. Um, maybe make the camera a little bit better, which we'll touch on at some point, I'm sure, but give it HD graphics and let me play it on my PS4 and I will pay whatever amount that you ask me for to pay for it. Yeah. So it's such a stunning game that it's worth tracking down and hauling your old PS2 out of storage or whatever it takes to play this game. If you're lucky enough to have one. Yeah. Um, they're not they're not that expensive. I know a couple of my co-hosts here had to track down PS2s and you can get them. I went to my local um, my local retro game store 
called Game Over Games. And I went inside, and of course they have the hardware to play it, but they did not have the game, and they said, good luck finding it. Well, it isn't that hard to find, but uh, yeah. it's certainly not just a download. Like, I'm so used to and so spoiled by the the modern, you know, download and play yeah. style of games that having to actually hunt for a game felt like a completely bizarre experience. Yeah, this turned into kind of a, like, I had to schedule time in advance to play this game because it wasn't, the PlayStation 2 is not at my house. Yeah, I had to, you know, harass a friend of mine to let me go over there and play and he was surprisingly cool with it because he got to play too. But that's it was, awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you for taking the time. Yeah, unfortunately for me, Molly had a PS2, and so we just pulled it out of the box, plugged it in. I ordered it on Amazon, and there you go. There you go. Rolling things up. talk about the actual development of this game we, we said it was released in march of 2004 it came out in september 2004 so that's only six months between the the initial japanese release and the american release which is pretty short for a game in this era um and it came out i would say barely localized you get this real feeling with katamari damasi i mean just right there in the title they did not translate the title um which translates roughly to clump soul or clump spirit uh, spirit in the sense of like school spirit or teen spirit or whatever um, so it's like it's kind of a jokey title in Japanese and it, the, the, the humor of the title doesn't completely translate a lot of the settings and objects in the game are very Japanese you know you're rolling over shogi tiles and you're rolling through a very Japanese looking apartment and you're rolling through areas that really look like Japanese settings so yeah to, to localize some of that stuff would have been to completely remake all of the objects in the setting or the entire level really yeah so, yeah you would have had to basically scrap the game and start from from nothing in order to truly localize this game and so I think they made a very wise choice and didn't but at that time that was a really weird choice and so I, that's why I think the, the $20 price tag and sort of hedging their bets on the release yeah I think they took all the voc- all the uh the lines, all the uh, captions and everything, dropped it into the 2004 version of Google Translate. And <laughs> I think that was Babblefish. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, also used that in the game. Even I, at the time, who was about as steeped in like anime as you could possibly get, uh, even I thought this game was like so hard to understand. Like I was like, what is serious here and what is a joke i don't but i don't that's know what's so good yeah. about it though it's this very uh, yeah. japanese sense of humor and if that appeals to you it is a hysterical game from beginning oh it to is end. the Does king i want to try to describe the plot of this game oh i'll, oh, I'll okay. give it a shot easy I'll give it a shot. easy thing. easy plot katamari damasi right. plot corner so um in the in the beginning of this game uh the king of all cosmos who uh looks like a a superhero with his head wrapped up in a beautiful carpet. He's like uh, a mariachi with a head made of tube. 
It's a yes. roll of it's a roll of carpet with a face wearing a robe. A very important roll of carpet, <laughs> and a nose that's perfectly triangular, and a big bowl. Yes, he's. I mean, he's handsome. Let's just give him that. Yes, he's he's supremely handsome. So he's yes. getting drunk, like like you do, and he gets so drunk that he knocks all the stars out of the sky, and great party. Uh, yeah, must he have is been the a great size party. Of a planet, uh, we yeah. should say. And he has a beautiful, like, rough collar. I mean, I can't talk enough about the King of All Cosmos. That's my dream I mean, Halloween costume, guys. Oh, oh. please do, dude. If you, but, if uh, we ever can go to a Halloween party together, I'll be a Katamari. You be the King of All Cosmos, <laughs> <laughs> and we'll we'll have a great time. Yes. So so he tasks his son, who is like, so uh, the King of All Cosmos is a million tall. Yeah, five million. centimeters, five centimeters tall. <laughs> Um, and his son looks similar, but green and, and cuter, um, and much, much tinier on a totally different scale. And playing with scale is, is very important to this game, but little tiny Prince, uh, is going to be rolling around these Katamari to gather up enough junk to rebuild every star in the sky. So he grabs these balls, the Katamari that look like the everlasting gobstopper from, uh, from the, uh. Actually, from the movie, yeah, they don't from look the like movie. the candy. They look like the candy from Willy Wonka's chocolate. That's party. right. You remember yeah. in that scene where yeah. he had the gumball that had the weird spikes on it and was super colorful. That's exactly what these look like. Yeah, and he's rolling them up. Anything that they touch, they get stuck to. And from level to level, you're just grabbing everything possible and then shooting it up in a royal rainbow. And, and then by everything, <laughs> we mean absolutely everything from ants to lipsticks to buildings. Scale is very important, as you mentioned. Yes, so much fun rolling these things up. And the, and the key of the gameplay is that you can always roll up into your ball anything that is smaller in diameter than your ball. But things that are larger in diameter than your ball bounce right off. And so it's all about kind of angling towards small objects to roll up and make your ball larger and then rolling towards slightly larger objects and so on. And those objects kind of just glom onto and stick to your Katamari in a really interesting, convincing way that I thought was really impressive at the time. Um, and you build this enormous rolling ball of crap that rolls around <laughs> and grows in size until finally it can turn into a star. Yeah, the big fish eat the little fish. Yeah. You're constantly tracking down things that are smaller than you that are often in nice little rows. You can kind of get on these like really good runs where you're just going really, really fast, just sucking everything in your path into your Katamari. And it's one of the most supremely satisfying games that I've ever played when you get on these runs. To continue talking about the story of the game, there is a side story, not important to the main story that you're playing <laughs> as, the, uh, as the little prince. <laughs> side story. But there, is, so a, there so is a side story uh, about the Hoshino family, a Japanese family, you know, a mother and her daughter and son and their father, who is an astronaut. And his launch is canceled because the stars have suddenly disappeared from the sky. And, uh, and so in between your levels, you see these weird, slightly off-putting robotic cutscenes of very angular-looking square Japanese children. Um, it's apparent that the young daughter of the Hoshino family has a weird sort of connection with the cosmos. And so every time you finish a new star, uh, 
Michiru Hoshino, the little girl, uh, says something along the lines of, I feel the cosmos. There's a new star in the sky. And and, and there we are. That's the whole story. Yeah. It's, su- it's super strange, though, because, like, the mom is, like, the most aloof mother. Because the mother doesn't care. There's literally newscasts going on that are like, we interrupt this TV show you're watching, which is a really funny, like, robot smashing, a, like, a little dragon. And it's like, all of the cosmos have disappeared. And the kid's like, Mom, Mom, all the cosmos are gone. And she's like, let's get in the car, honey. It's time to go see your dad. And she's like, but Mom, and totally aloof everywhere <laughs> around them. Like My favorite thing about the cutscenes is they're so incredibly short that you, you say these sentences as if that is a coherent plot, but each <laughs> cutscene is about 10 seconds of that plot. So you don't yeah. actually find out that your dad is going to a space shuttle launch for like halfway through yeah insanely spaced out it's just there to kind of give you a hint of a story i think it's really just there to make you remember (sighs) oh hey a lot of these times here where we're rolling up people yeah there are people they're they're people that we're rolling up in those it it says (laughs) it says to be continued after every like 10 second thing well it is funny because you're on earth rolling up ostensibly i guess killing (laughs) <laughs> all of these, no, all of these no, people. Because the Hoshino family at the end gets rolled up in the giant ball, and they decide, and then that ball gets turned into the moon, and the Hoshino family decides to take a lunar vacation. So while they're rolled up in the ball, it's totally safe. That's true. There's lots of cats with them. I don't think I would be worried about being rolled up in a in a katamari. I think it'd be the happiest moment of my life. It's like ascending, right? You're going from your you're in your like shitty, you know, nine to five on Earth, and then all of a sudden you're rolled up and now you're a star. You know, yeah. that sounds I mean, that's the American and Japanese dream, right? Exactly. Like the- <laughs> yeah. Now the whole family gets to go to the moon. Yeah. It's fantastic. <laughs> so it's so weird. It it's is like so so weird. <laughs> The um the game has a feel like an old arcade game. Like uh, this game gets compared a lot. I think partly because it's from Namco, but it gets compared a lot to Pac Man. I think that's really apt though, because Pac Man was a game all about just eating things, eating things, eating things, eating things, and you know avoiding danger. And this game is about rolling up things and rolling up things, and it, it's got that same sort of arcadey feel. You know, you just never want to stop. You want to keep rolling and growing and eating everything that's possibly in the... Like my weekend. There's a moment where you're, you know, finally big enough to start rolling up people, and the game suddenly gets pretty amazing because you suddenly are the the monster terrorizing downtown. You have moved from the guy who's just, you know, thumbtacks, you know, ants, maybe a cat or two, Mm -hmm. and suddenly you're running through and grabbing policemen and people who are spinning in circles and divers and turtles and anything if you've thought of it it's an object my favorite is the moment when suddenly you roll into the ja- the backyard area of a japanese high school and there's all these like slightly angular looking japanese high school tough guys with their big pompadour haircuts and you knock them all down and roll over them and they're running for their motorcycles yeah. to get away <laughs> i mean so there's there's pretty much there's like two bad guys in this game right they're like with you're you're comparing it to pac-man how you kind of just go forever until you get eaten by a ghost the bad guys in this game are time and it as much as this game is a novelty game like it is not easy 
to no. necessarily win each round. You will have to replay them, and we'll, and we'll probably talk about that a little bit more. But also, yeah, you definitely have to find that right path that leads yeah. you over all the right size things. Besides time, which is a very arcadey type thing, there's also things that are bigger than you. If they're alive, they may actually target you. And if you have a particularly hard collision, your Katamari will be hit really hard and like pieces will break off of it. And each level is determined. Your, your goal is to reach a certain size. And so if things hit you too hard, your size goes down. And that is, you know, counter to what you're trying to accomplish. So you, you're kind of weaving in and out of like, let's say it's a dog that is bigger than you. When you start the game, it's trying to chase you and break your, your Katamari. But what's so satisfying about this game is Almost every level is designed to the all the things that are trying to mess with you as you get bigger. At some point, you will be big enough to roll them into your ball, and it's like, "Suck it, dog!" Yeah. Now you're <laughs> now you're in my now you're in my Katamari. You're mine, elephant. I'll <laughs> yeah. there's also kind of an uber villain, and that's you know I would say your father's disappointment mm. is something. Every time if you fail, oh my God, father says the most belittling, horrible thing. He is the king of all cosmos, but he is just a jerk. And you are five centimeters tall, so I guess you're a disappointment. No, he is a he's a jerk, one hundred percent of the time. He never says, "I have daddy issues from this game." <laughs> like occasionally, he's like, "Oh, I bought you a present and I threw it somewhere to Earth because I was too busy drinking." Yeah, he's like, "Oh, I was gonna Go buy you a present, you. but." Uh, you know, I forgot. There's probably something cool on Earth. And if you l- fail, if you don't make the, the proper Katamari in the time frame, it cuts to like, it's like thunderstorm background where he is just gl- like looming down on you, telling you what a failure you are. He looks terrifying. In fact, it actually, is- if you look at that screen about once every fourth or fifth lightning strike, you see his arms are like reaching up in this like really horrifying like claw fashion. And then the lightning goes away and his arms are back to normal. It's, <laughs> it's the moment in scary. Disney's Hercules before you find out that Zeus is Hercules' father and it's all going to be good. There's a second when he summons Zeus and it's terrifying. And that's just the king of all cosmos in story. He doesn't become the cool dad. Yeah, there's there's a time one of them I failed, and he goes really deep into, he's like, oh, look how small and look how sad you are. I know that a lot of, it says maidens, I know that a lot of maidens love the innocent and cute and helpless look, but this is just pathetic, and you are <laughs> worthless, and you are never going to accomplish anything. It's not just he's disappointed. It is like so uh, – I know. It is so utterly specific about how much of a failure, failure you are that I'm just sitting here like I feel bad for my weird little green Katamari yeah. or my – whatever, the prince. And it's so hysterical to think of this little tiny five centimeter guy as the as the son of the giant planet sized king of all cosmos. It's very Marvel Universe in a way. It's uh, it's Galactus and his uh, and his minions. It's it's hysterical. If Galactus got drunk and knocked planets over, she probably does. It's so even even when you get the Katamari to the size that is required, he's like, well, that was pretty good. But you're the prince, so you probably should have done better. (laughs) Yeah.
you. So there are a lot of levels in this game, but not that many. There are, I think, 19 main levels. There are 10 what it calls make a star levels. And each of those, your, your goal is pretty simple. It's get to a certain size. So make a star number one, you just have to get to 10 centimeters. Uh, make a star number nine, you have to get to 30 meters, which is big, but not enormous. The final one of those make a star levels is make the moon, and you have to be absolutely huge, 300 meters, large enough to roll up whole uh, islands. Um, but there's also another set of levels, and you can pick these in largely any order, um, that are constellations. And those are kind of the gimmick levels. Those ones, they're not judging you based on how large your Katamari gets. They're judging you based on how many of certain types of objects you roll up in your ball. And those ones are by far the funniest ones. So the first one, for example, is make cancer, the, um, the, the constellation, not the, not the disease. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and you're rolling the crabs. That would have been a funny Katamari. Well, yeah, but knowing this game, the dad would have been like, perfect, now you have it, because I hate you. True. But so imagine a Japanese household where somehow, suddenly, hundreds of types of crabs have infested every possible corner, and you're finding crabs in the most unexplainable locations. Uh, or the one after that was Cygnus the Swan, or my very favorite of these was Make Gemini, Roll Up Twins. And, uh, nah, and wait, why is that your favorite? Not for the reason you're expecting. I thought it was hysterical the way that there were two of all these objects, but they had unique names. So when you roll over an object, you see its name, and it would say, like, um, toilet paper roll. Uh, younger brother. Yeah, older brother. <laughs> toilet paper roll, younger brother. <laughs> everything had an older and younger version of itself. Man, I also love Cygnus because the swans, you only could roll up eggs. And you didn't know if you are rolling over chicken eggs or swan eggs. And as you rolled, they would hatch and they would start flapping. So you had just a flapping, moving, like, Madeline Lingle ball covered in feathers and wings <laughs> style thing rolling around. And what's the, um, the bear one? Uh, Ursa Major? That one was tricky because it's actually you only need to roll up one bear... And your goal is to roll up the biggest bear. And so what happens is there's bears all over the place, bears of all sizes. And so you actually have to avoid rolling up these bears until you're big enough to roll up the biggest bear. Because the moment the moment you roll up a bear, the king of all cosmos pops in and goes, like all capital letters, like bear, and then it, <laughs> and then it, and then it ends. He, he takes you on Rainbow Road, and it's done. And so you have to like, it, it's bullshit though. Too, I should because say Royal Rain at the end, the Royal Rainbow. Uh, basically, he barfs a rainbow on you and <laughs> yeah, then sucks you up with it. Yeah, and and it's like it sucks though because it's like, oh, that was a it was like a carving of a bear. Like I didn't know that qualifies as a bear. So you have to like weave in and out of bear-shaped things until you get, <laughs> like, the ultimate bear is huge. So you have to get really big without happening to roll up any smaller bear items to appease your terrible father and, yeah, and make him the biggest bear. Oh, God. Oh, oh yep. God. the game looks but not really about its art style as a as a stylistic choice it, this game looks like no other game on the playstation 2 and unlike very few games since i would say it looks like more games since than it does at the time oh, yeah. it was 
totally unique then. Yeah. Um, what I thought was fascinating was I went back and read some reviews from when this game initially came out, and a lot of them were really harsh about the graphics. They said, this looks like a PlayStation 1 game. I mean, I guess that's okay because <laughs> there's so many objects on screen that they had to have crappy graphics. But what I don't think that they saw was that this was clearly a stylistic choice. Like, they were going for this... Um, like low poly aesthetic. Well, it's both, right? I mean, they really did push the number of objects that you could have on screen at once. Yeah, the PlayStation 2 had a pretty low poly count. I don't. I actually read once that it was below a thousand or something like that, or some some fairly small number. So you couldn't have that many polygons on screen at a time. Um, and Katamari Damacy pushes that absolutely to the limit because you might have certain areas of the game where you are looking at. 150 objects rendered in 3D, all within your field of view, all sticking to you, so all able to move independently. Every single object is something that can move and has like a bottom to it, for example. Like you can roll up a building, well that building has to have a bottom surface. So an enormous number of objects and that low poly aesthetic works really in favor of it because it not only like let them get away with this on the PlayStation 2, but it has this look that just it just works. It's really uh, timeless, unlike a lot of other crap on the PS2. And I think a lot of the simplicity helps because once something is rolled up, it moves so quickly that it's hard to parse. If it was more detailed, as something was spinning around the Katamura, you wouldn't be able to realize it. And as you know, Nate talked about seeing this in multiplayer, or seeing someone else playing it, a lot of the humor is being able to see that pencil or that ant or that cat or that twin running up and spinning over and over while it's stuck to you. And if it was more detailed, it wouldn't be half as funny and you wouldn't be able to grasp it that quickly. I won't lie, I would be really interested to see what a truly modern, photorealistic Katamari Damacy would be. I mean, maybe like a somebody should mod some Katamari into, uh, into one of the GTA games or something? No, there's a, uh, there's a commercial that came out. It wasn't for Katamari. But it was, oh man, it was, there was a commercial where it was like a ball rolling down a street, sucking everything up. And it was like a beer commercial or something like that. And it was exactly that. And it was terrifying. I, I, I can't remember what it is. We'll have to look it up and put it in the show notes or something. You're right. It but, does kind of undercut the like, the terrifying concept of something rolling, something enormous rolling over your entire town and sucking it all up. It, it, it makes them a little more uh, cute and fun. I mean, you get photorealistic, you have to worry about agency and the existential horror of losing control and getting sent to a Katamari. It's much better just to have some guy who most looks like a square block waving his arms back and forth. It's fun to chase those people. Oh man, well, Nate just the, pasted the link to the real-life yeah. Katamari thing he was describing into the show notes, and this is absolutely horrifying and amazing. I'll have a link in, in the show notes for you guys. Definitely check out this video on YouTube. Everyone needs to watch it. Like, I just watched a wedding party get sucked in. And, and like, that's the thing, though, is in the game, you suck up people, and they scream, and they flail, and they're just hooked to you. They're pissed just off. <laughs> being really, really, really upset about being sucked up. Um, so there's like they, they are the people are aware of what's going on more or less. Oh, it's a traveler's insurance commercial, <laughs> and they're saying like you never know what's gonna happen. Um, Don't go to Japan, guys. Which also advice: uh, if you ever see a real life katamari kind of rolling up around you, just squash it, just end it. 
because you're all going to get sucked up and sent to What space. if you're bigger than it is? Step on it. Step on it, exactly. Just okay. end it. Yeah. Actually, like, there's a lot of really cool tech in this game. I remember being stunned by some of the little technical accomplishments this game pulled off on the PlayStation 2 at the time. Um, and playing it again this time, I was still kind of struck by those. It really still holds up on a technical level. Um, it just huge number of objects, but also the scaling, the scaling from small to very large, is pulled off really smoothly. It hides a little bit of a redraw that it does in a cool way. Um, there's this moment when you reach a certain point. It's usually about every 10 centimeters or every few meters once you get a little larger, um, where it has to get rid of on screen the very smallest objects and, I guess, change over things so that you're able to roll up the larger objects. And when it does that, there's this kind of swirling animation that happens on screen. Um, but apart from that moment of swirling animation to kind of redraw things to let you go up a size, it feels like you're just scaling from literally the size of a thumbtack all the way up to the size of an island completely smoothly and fluidly, and it never has to, like, reset anything. Yeah, it, it it's treated, like, we know on a technical level that it's a redraw, and we understand, like, this is necessary, but it also... They're, they feel satisfying. The way that it's handled, every time you get that little swirling effect, it feels good. You're, you're not like, oh, got to wait for the redraw. You're like, oh, sweet. I've leveled up, if you will. It's akin to a slow-mo or something where it pauses for a second because things are getting too awesome and they want you to enjoy it. Mm, and it's yeah. really clever the way that they take that time break to say you've reached a you know, a milestone and it never feels cheap, which I've seen plenty of times where that's a time when you get a bunch of stalling or yeah. jerks mm -hmm. or about about halfway through. There's usually there's these little tiny redraws that are going, but about halfway through, usually your dad will kind of chime in and it'll go to a screen of just his face and he'll say something like, wow, you're getting larger, but well, it's not really that great. Why don't you keep working on it? And then you'll go back into the game. And those are probably even more major redraws. But again, it, it feels fine. Like, we only know it's a redraw because we're, lo we're looking at the technical aspects. It feels like an element of the game, though. The first, uh, the first time you roll up certain types of objects, he'll also jump in and say, Oh, a cat. I remember the first time I rolled up a cat. And those are the moments when you, if you're doing really well, he, he offers some encouragement and, and sort of tells you about his own experience when he was small rolling up objects. And uh, I felt at those times I felt really close to my dad, the king of all cosmos. I, too, chose to go swimming at this exact same spot the first time that I went swimming. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> when you accidentally fall in the lake. <laughs> There's one where it's. The level starts out with a row of bananas, a very long row of bananas. And if you follow this row of bananas properly, he'll just pop in just his big text bubble that goes right in the middle of the screen. It'll be like, it just says B A N A. And then as you, he goes away. And as you pick up more bananas, he goes N A. He goes away. More bananas, N A. And you just keep <laughs> doing N A, N A, N A until na -na. you. 
Unfortunately, all I could think of was that No Doubt song. Or uh, I guess it was it wasn't. Yeah, it was Gwen Stefani at that point. But uh, yeah, that's all I could think of at that. But yeah, it's like and uh, and honestly, it's kind of annoying because he covers up like the entire screen. And you're like, Dad, get out of the way. I'm trying to roll up these bananas. These B-A-N-A-N-A-S. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. But but it's bananas. Yeah. So cool. (laughs) And there's actually a few other little things I wanted to mention as far as just cool tech that the game was pulling off at the time. One of the things that jumped out at me when I was playing this on the original PlayStation 2 was that there's a lot of scenes when you're in the interior of these houses where they've got TV screens. And on the TV screen, you see yourself like you see like a miniaturized version of the same thing that you're seeing on your TV screen. Uh, And that was an effect that I had never seen before in a uh, in a ps2 game or in any other game before that it felt like oh man they've got so much graphical oomph on this system to spare this cell processor is so powerful that they can render the game twice and show it on its a tv inside the game they were probably doing some little trickery there but obviously like it was something i'd never seen before um and they had a lot of other cool graphical effects like they very did some very smooth background blurring and uh, and the effect when the ball absorbs objects and they go from stationary in the world to kind of sucked up in the ball was this really cool smooth thing. So technically, the game just is pulling off these really amazing tricks that you just don't really see in a lot of other PS2 games. Uh, and I don't think that some of the technical stuff it was doing here was matched until several years later when the PS2 was a little yeah. bit more mature. Well, it's a little bit them- of a callback to the gameplay, but you're talking about you know the way the impressive way things glom onto the ball. That was one of the things that I really liked the best in sort of the feel of the game and the technology of the game. You'd, you'd roll over like, you know, Nate's talking about this line of bananas, right? And you, it feels really good to like get up some speed with your little, you know, zigzag motion that you do and then zoom over a long line of objects. But the objects stick to that ball uh, wherever they happen to touch. And so the ball can get really wobbly and off center. And sometimes you even pick up things that like are like, you know, you're the size of a thumbtack, but you grab like a pencil that completely deforms the ball into a really weird shape. And so managing the shape of the ball so that you could actually get a, or like sort of avoiding an oblong katamari, keeping a good spherical katamari was very important to the game. For speed, yes. <laughs> That's true. And I think something else mentioning on a technical level, um, something that got picked up a lot when I was doing uh, casual flash games was um, that the the bounding box, the shape of objects is actually pretty blocky. We've talked about square people, but they put a lot of detail into the texture maps that are laid on top of it so that things look really detailed, but they're just a box or, you know, I think the most complicated thing I saw was maybe like an umbrella or, you know, but things are pretty much a set shape um the hit areas or the 3d hit area rather is a set shape but they put a lot of detail into the mapping on top of it so that they can it's really optimized it's something that i think a lot of indie devs have pulled up on that you don't have to have you know if you took the art layer off it could just be a bunch of boxes and it doesn't take away anything because it has enough personality in that texture layer that it feels really cool and unique yeah, that's and you true. know there's a difference yeah. between a magnet and a lipstick even though they look exactly the same thing when you take that <laughs> texture layer off it lets them have a lot more flexibility and I think it's something they do a good job like you know generally you see a flower pot in a video game and or like a, a planter box I think is like a better 
example in this game. You see a big planter box, and you would imagine that it is just like like part of the the ground, right? There's no bottom, or if it's up against a wall, there's no sides. But you can actually like suck that planter box out of the ground or off of that wall where everything is individually rendered and like you're saying it might actually just be a square with some nice paint on it but like the bottom of it is actually rendered into its own image as is the side that was pressed against the wall so when you fully wrap it yeah exactly so when it's pressed so when it goes into your katamari no matter what angle you hit it at it stays at that angle and it's not just like a gray bottom it's actually like the color of what you would expect the planter box to be, or maybe a little bit even more detail. Yeah, it's very natural. Like you can roll over a, a, a carton of eggs, and if you're small enough to pick up the eggs, but not small, not large enough to pick up the uh, the carton, you'll those eggs will pop right out of the carton, and then when you roll back later, the carton will come out. It's uh, you know, there's all these objects Super that great. are actually a lot of little objects gathered together in interesting ways, and the fact that like those were separate things. You know, there's um, a dozen eggs in there. Like that can was really we, impressive at the time. Can we just go back to how satisfying it is to go through a carton of eggs, roll them all into your katamari, and then like a minute later come back and roll up that carton? Oh yeah. Like just oh, yeah. <laughs> that's the whole game, and it sounds so silly to say, but every level, it kind of like, at least to me, every level starts off maybe a little difficult. It's not hard. There's nothing that's necessarily hard about this game, but you're seeking out the the right scale, the right things to suck up until you reach a, a level about maybe three-fourths of the way through the level where you become almost unstoppable, and now it's just rolling over everything that's in your path just to get to the, to the requisite height. And one nice thing they do in this game is that once you meet the requisite height, if you still had time left over... They let you continue rolling things up, and they actually design it to that effect, assuming that people are going to maybe play these levels again and get really, really good at them. So while the goal might only be, let's say, one meter, you could play that level if you got really, really good at it to the to the extent of like three or four or five meters and roll up things that you would not have even known were in that level had you not really like committed to it. That kind of brings me to one of my favorite things about the game. Like we're talking about all these, you know, clever objects and cool things you can grab. And most of them are everyday objects, but they're, you know, recontextualized or they're funny in some way. Um, Well, it keeps a catalog of all the objects that you've grabbed. And it's super fun to go back and look at it because every level has some unique objects. And some of those objects are so big that you can only grab them if you really greatly exceed the, um, if you greatly exceed the required size for the level. Like I remember in one level, there was a like an Ultraman type robot that you could grab. You had to be way big for it. Oh yeah! If you get, it's in the Make a Moon level, if you get to the size where you're rolling up whole islands, you can see that there's actually a like a giant Ultraman type robot guy who's fighting a Godzilla, and they're just sort of standing. Oh, he's there, fighting an octopus, around. I think. Oh yeah, maybe like or a squid <laughs> or something. You're right. Yeah, and uh, and you can roll those guys up, and uh, they have names. When you go into the gallery, uh, not all the you know a lot of the objects are just funny in and of themselves, but some of them are funny because they have crazy names in the uh, in the gallery and things like that. We talked about the the big and little brothers, things like yeah. that. But 
it's just being able to go back and like see have I got have I caught them all? Yeah, they've actually designed it. There are, uh, and I only discovered this upon doing some research for you know for the podcast. There are actually four levels that you can reach. What's called an eternal katamari, and that's where having with essentially the perfect run and building the katamari as big as possible in an individual level. I never did that personally, but they're on the final level. I think the goal is something like two hundred meters big to make the moon. If you get it to 800 meters you have reached the eternal katamari and it's like an actual achievable thing there's four of them throughout the game that require a seemingly a nearly perfect like you are never not taking the exact right turn you know sucking up the exact same right things um, but i like that that they design the game to go further than what's required to beat it so eternal mode is basically limitless mode it sort of is. If you get this incredibly perfect, enormous Katamari in a particular level, you will unlock that area to play in an endless version of the level. So you got right. a sandbox version where you can roll around. I have never quite achieved that myself. I might yeah. have back in the day, but not, not, on the, not on the version I'm playing now. Another really funny thing about this game, too, is that, like Shane was saying, it catalogs everything that you've, you've, you've rolled up. And it, once you complete it, it actually gives you a, like a, a tally of the top three things you rolled up at the end of the level. And so it'll be like, number one, you rolled up majority vegetables. And then number two, it'll be like kitchenware. And then one of my favorites is on one of the levels, the number three thing I rolled up, the most of all the things, the third most of all things was teenagers. and then it will name the star because you know that's what you're doing you're rebuilding the cosmos it actually names the star off of what was the most the thing you rolled up the most and so one of the levels i rolled up the number one thing i rolled up was japanese food and the number two thing was something like vegetables or something in that element and the name of the star was the blowfish star which I guess was something yeah. to do with Japanese food. It's always like a tangently related thing to what whatever the number one thing you rolled up was. It's also fun to see how it categorizes different items. When you go back into that catalog of all the things you've rolled up, you can go flip through and see like, oh, it's basically cataloging these tens of thousands of items into different categories. And gosh, all these teenagers have names. <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> yeah, the, all the people, like almost everything is individualized. All the people are. And just to hear their little screams, I, it's so it's so weird how sad is. <laughs> it's so strange. Like I wish that any of the information architecture jobs I do on a daily basis were half as fun as like trying to decide what category toilet paper goes in in Katamari. <laughs> Well, and it's weird too. Like, I got this like strange Disneyification thing where, like, I would feel really bad about rolling up like the cat that had been messing with me the whole time, and I'd be like, you'd be like, meow, whenever he'd roll it up, <laughs> and I'd be like, oh, poor kitty. But they're like, yeah, roll up that bikini girl, and yeah, roll like, yeah, that get that cop, officer. yeah, get that, get that land, cop. Not big enough to fight that sumo guy, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't wait to come back and roll him up. Oh, but not that horse. Oh, no. (laughs) 
So I probably will have been editing a lot of it into this episode already. So you've probably already been hearing it. But so far, I am shocked that we haven't yet talked about the soundtrack to this game, which is one of the most important things about the game to me. The game has the most amazing soundtrack of any video game that I can remember. Uh, It stuck with me to the point where I would go back and listen to this on my iPod or iPhone a lot in all of the intervening years since 2004. Yeah, if you listen to our video game music episode from like three weeks ago, I, the, the main theme song is so good. But what I had forgotten about is how good every other song on this game is. The whole thing, it's so strange. And like, there's some songs that are like, this is our attempt at an American song. <laughs> They're so varied. There's like jazz in there. There's, uh, there's like sort of folk-esque kind of sounding stuff. There's a lot of stuff that has a kind of a techno, pop, Japanese feel to it, but it's incredibly varied. And, and um, I thought maybe it'd be fun for us to talk a little bit about some of our favorite songs, and I'll edit a little bit of them into the episode here towards the end. Um, did anybody have any particular favorites? Oh, yeah, I definitely do. Uh, my two favorites, can I pick two? Start with one. All right. My my <laughs> oh, favorite my. favorite is K Sarah Sarah. Is it's got this just goofy, insane version of like a like a big band song uh, that's specifically about Katamari, and it's so like I'm gonna roll you up into my life. Yeah, that's the one where I was thinking it was like this is an American song, like yeah. a bunch of. Oh, it's so strange. So, uh, my favorite, apart from the overture, the the main song, which is absolutely great, is uh, one called Cherry Blossom Color Season, which is a little bit of a weird song in the soundtrack.
a little slower and a little bit more sort of um, uh, nostalgic sounding than the rest of the sort of power pop of the the soundtrack. But it's it's sort of relaxing and fun. I personally yeah. dig uh, Gin and Tonic and Red Red Roses, which is big band era, um, but on st- not steroids, but a much weirder drug. <laughs> Um, there's some like scat in there, but it's star has an incredibly satisfying synth hook that i could like we were talking about ringtones earlier i think and like (laughs) this would be a really good to go back to like 2007 this would be a really slick ringtone uh it's the whole j-pop you know the singer sounds like a tiny japanese girl which not always my thing but the synth hook is so good so One that always stuck out to me because it was one that would just get stuck in your head and just never, ever, ever leave was a song that's apparently called Wanda Wanda. Um, Wanda, 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 You know, I always thought it said, if I listened to it, I always heard, I want to pick up, pick up, I want to pick up, pick up. Like, I want to pick things up. I guess it could be I wanna, I wanna, I wanna, but just Wanda, 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 Wanda. Yeah, it, I don't know. It's one of those songs that's so strange that you you can hear almost anything in it. Um, also, it's you know Japanese singers, so who knows what they're saying for most of it. But it's <laughs> it's so catchy and fun. They could be saying anything. They literally could. Uh, such an there's amazing a soundtrack. Solid backbeat in that one too. Really there's does. some. So there's good. I can't remember the song that starts out. It's just like a drum beat. Like there's some real like weird percussion in this game. It all fits so perfectly with this game because everything is so silly that the music might as well just be eclectic and weird and silly and and funny and it just rounds out the total package. Yeah, you really do get a feeling that this could be the songs picked out for you by your dad, the king of all cosmos. And it's not as if the songs line up one-to-one at the level, like you're getting a song about swans on the Cygnus level. Nope, it's nope. seemingly random, but perfect. So perfect. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I'm really glad we got a chance to talk about this game and I'm really glad I went back and played it again. This game is such comfort food for me. Like it takes me right back to a period in 2004 where, you know, I, I, I just, I was in a different place and this game took me right back there and, and it just, ah, okay, I'm not sure how, how coherent this sounds, but this game is so good and it's so important to me. I, I have loved this game so much since the day it came out and I'm really glad we got a chance to talk about it on the show. I mean, I'm a newcomer, but it comes up so much in game design circles and like everyone worships this game because it's so novel. There's nothing like it. There's no mechanic like it. Like, and there's still else, almost nothing like it. There's a comparison. There's no comparison to this game. Everything is unique to it. So I'm so glad I played it and it was as silly and fun as I wanted it to be. You know, you know one of the major components, one of the things that we talk about so much in the short game is, is how an interesting mechanic or a, a game beyond its graphics is what you know, makes a game unique and ideally a game that lasts. Like We expect that a lot of the games that we've covered on this show will be fun for a very long time, even as those consoles go away or the ability to play it goes away. And I think this game is like the total testament to that entire concept. I mean, this game came out, what, it was 2004? Mm -hmm. This is, besides Grim Fandango, which we played the remake, but still count it, this is the oldest game we've done for the show. But it is exactly what we talk about mm -hmm. for very for pretty much every other game that we do. And it really makes me want to go back and explore more games, more older games that sort of fit our, you know, our wheelhouse here. Uh, there's so many great games from this era and from, you know, all of gaming history that I, I sometimes older games are a little less accessible because I think just with the way that people uh, approached games then was different. People wanted these long experiences because you could only buy one game a month and games cost a zillion dollars and you had to go to GameStop. To get yeah, them. it was it was a di people had different expectations out of their games then. Um, but there are games like this one that are these great experiences that you can jump into and just play for an hour or a weekend or, you know, a week or whatever it takes and just get this great sense of game of a of a beautiful game design that stood out and is still influencing games today. I don't know where I'm going with this. It's just such a great game. Yeah. Do whatever you have to. Like, here's the thing. You could probably buy a PlayStation 2 and this game for just a little bit more than you would pay for a AAA title uh, on your PS4 or your Xbox One. Yeah, maybe less if you can find a PS2, like, locally on Craigslist or something. Yeah, there there are Cra there are PS2s on eBay for 50 bucks. So what that means is you could find someone on Craigslist and get it for 30 Then yeah. you spend 10 bucks for the game, and you've bought this game for less than you would spend on Bloodborne or whatever, you know, game is $60 right now. And it's totally worth it. This game can be completed in what maybe five hours at yeah, depending yeah. on how good you are like we, you'll probably have to play some of them over again i think uh how long to beat says six hours and that's going to be totally on how good you are at it but you could play this game just endlessly and it, it really is a fun game to play with friends like just take a shot see if you can get to the highest heights or if you can complete it because some of them are hard. You might take two or three or four runs at an individual level to complete it. And when you're done, give it to someone else to try, and you'll have just as much fun watching it 
as you will playing it. Yeah, passing it back and forth. It, there's no multiplayer at the beginning, or if it is, it's not that great. But just passing the controller back and forth between attempts is just as entertaining. Seeing the same level three or four times is just fine. Yeah, I can remember when we played it uh, back when I was saying, like, at, uh, when I played it first, we would play the same level over and over and over just to see who could get like the highest score. We never reached any of those eternal levels, but just to see new parts of the map and see what you could roll up. It's fun. Yeah. I don't think we have to, you know, uh, say how replayable this game is when we're coming back to it and buying, rebuying the system all over again, (laughs) just to replay it. Yeah. Uh, uh, This is a game that is going to have a special place in my heart forever. So thank you guys so much for joining me. I've really enjoyed playing and talking about this one, and I'm really looking forward to uh, our upcoming episodes. So uh, if you, dear listener, uh, enjoyed the show and want to hear more stuff from us, you can check out our website at www.theshortgame.net. You'll find all of our show notes there with links to anything we talked about in the episode. Um, You can also subscribe to the show on iTunes and leave us a review. It makes a big difference. Uh, It helps people find the show, and uh, it's the best way that you can support the show right now. You can also subscribe in the podcast app of your choice. Of course, if you are listening to this, you may already have been subscribed. And if that's the case, we subscribe again. (laughs) Uh, You can follow our show on Twitter. We're at underscore short game, or you can write us feedback at info at the short game.net. I've been your host, Reagan Kelly, and you can find me on Twitter at Reagan K that's spelled R a Y G a N K. Laura, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Laura J Nash. All right. And uh, Nate, how about you? You can find me on Twitter at NateSTL. And my bro, Shane. I'm on Twitter at 8BitShane. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Short Game. Wanda, 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 wanda,